Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Let's hang out. Let's hang out. And let's talk about what lessons about. Let's hang out. And let's listen to two lesbian shout. Let's hang out. Let's hang out. Hey guys, welcome back to Les Hangout, a bi-coastal, bi-weekly podcast hosted by two lesbians. From the East Coast, I'm Ellie Brigida. And from the West Coast, I'm Lee Holmes Foster. And welcome to episode 17, Invisibility. We are so excited to be joined by Nicole Payson. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Les Hangout. They can't see you wave. <laughs> I was just, I know, but I, I had to wave. I had to. I just, I don't know. It's, it was in my body and I had to do it. Hi. Hi. I'm so glad to be here. Hi. Wave vocally. <laughs> I'm waving vocally. Hi, guys. Excellent. <laughs> so for anyone who does not know Nicole already, Nicole is an actor, host, and activist. You might know her best as Aster in Anyone But Me way back in the day. She also was in I Hate Tommy Finch, which you could watch on Tello. And she's a real-life bisexual. They do exist. They We're going to talk about it. We do. We <laughs> exist. We do. Yes. And we had the chance to meet and talk with Nicole at Clexicon, and she is wonderful. We are so happy to have her on. I cannot say enough good things about Nicole Payson, so... Without further ado, let's get it started. Let's do it. Are you ready? I am so ready. What a way to start. I'm all blushing and stuff. <laughs> We're going to like throw back Wednesday. We record on Wednesdays. We're going to throw back Wednesday a little bit back to anyone but me, because I think a lot of people are probably familiar with the web series and will remember you from it. So for anyone who doesn't know, Anyone But Me is a web series. It was created by Tina Sessa Ward about LGBT teens in New York City. And it started in 2008, right? And then yep. ran for a while, came back after a while. Yes, it was. It, so it was started by Tina Sessa Ward and Susan Miller. And Susan was one of the uh, writer producers of the first season of The L Word. And so when the two of them teamed up it was right after the l word had ended and there was this like gap in lesbian programming basically i mean because if you remember 10 years ago there was many <laughs> many fewer options for we queers yeah. out there in the entertainment world than there are now and so and also web was like just becoming a thing i mean i told people i was in a web series and they're like what is, what is that what are you what are you doing there? The internet was like just a thing that was happening for entertainment. It just started and we actually came about during the writer strike of 2008. So television writers were beginning to write for the web because they couldn't write for TV. And we yeah. were lucky enough to like kind of come in at the perfect time when the you know the market wasn't saturated by any stretch. You know, most notable lesbian show ever had just ended. 
and when television writers were looking for work. Mm -hmm. So it was like, it was great. Yeah, we just got in at the right time. So at that point, we only had enough money to do one season. So that's why it was kind of like this, you know, will we come back Mm -hmm. for next season? And I I call it like the web series that that keeps on giving. It's like never quite ends. (laughs) So are you guys coming back? Is there going to be another season? I don't know. (laughs) I can say that as definitively as I could ever say it now. I can't imagine there would be. I mean, we just did like the lost scenes two years ago or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's like there's always people find ways of bringing us back or who knows. How did you get involved? Like, what was your path to joining the project, getting cast? How did you end up as Aster? Well, I I saw the audition come through the NYU listserv. I had just graduated from NYU and they sent out sometimes like audition notices from production companies who were looking for basically younger looking people, right? I saw this come through and I saw like, you know, writer producer of the L word and I was like, oh my God. And so I immediately read the breakdown and Aster was just me. You know, sometimes as an actor, you get these little nuggets of gold where you read something and you're like, oh my God, they're literally describing me. I must audition for this. Mm -hmm. And it was that for me with Aster. I went in for Aster and it's funny because when I got called back, they read me and Rachel for both Vivian and Aster. So like I read for Vivian too, but it was just so obvious that I was Aster and she was Vivian. (laughs) Um, And that's, and so that's just how that, that went. My um, submission apparently came in late. I didn't know this, but the email was sent out late through NYU. So when I sent in my like headshot and resume that came when they'd already cut off the applicant pool or whatever. I wrote this like super passionate email about how I wished that the show were around when I was a teenager and coming out and just thanking them for the work that they were doing. And, and they read it and were like, I guess we should see this chick. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That that is like some sort of (laughs) twist of fate. I love it. Yeah, it felt very, very meant to be. I, it definitely yeah. was meant to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and at the time, I mean, you 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 wrote this whole email. Did you feel like being a part of the series? Did you know that how big of a deal it was going to be for a queer audience? No, I mean, honestly, like we it, we we sat in Susan's like breakfast room area in her amazing apartment on Central Park West. Oh my God. We sat around as a cast and read through the first, I want to say it was like four episodes or something. Um, And we kind of looked around at each other and we're like, we have something here. It feels special. You could kind of feel it in the air. Like again, at that point, it was like web was such uncharted territory. Nobody had any idea kind of where it could even go, right? We didn't know who was going to find it. I certainly didn't know how it was going to be marketed. I don't think we knew at all the kind of international following it would get. That's been the most surprising and Mm -hmm. kind of miraculous thing to me is like the continued international Mm -hmm. following of it. Uh, So no, I don't think we really did know. We knew we had something special, but we didn't know it was going to be this. It's funny because it it does, you know, at this point, it's the kind of storyline where it's like, I feel like if it came out now, it would seem so overplayed, you know, but like at the time, I mean, it was huge. And I think it was so, so approachable and so relevant to so many people. Like I remember, (laughs) I remember watching it um, because it was the same thing. It was my senior year of college, you know, and so it was, you know, I was dating 
well, my now wife, but at the time it was like her first real relationship and her first relationship with a woman since like kind of consciously coming out. So I think like a lot of those same issues, you know, that Astor and Vivian were navigating. I think for a lot of queer people, those were just... It was there. It was cool yeah. to see it. Yeah, like, I mean, it was cool to be a part of it that way. Because like what, like I said in my email, I mean, I really wished that it was around when I was coming out. Absolutely would have eaten that up. I mean, and we're, yeah. we're talking, oh, God, what year was that? Holy crap, I'm old. 2001? I mean, like, and it's just the landscape has changed so much. We didn't have that kind of content. You had to, like... I think I made a joke about this at one of the panels at Clexicon that, like, your only interaction with other gay people sometimes was, like, through MySpace and meeting up with somebody, like, (laughs) two hours away. hoping they weren't an axe murderer you know like I think it's and then and I remember you know getting um, queer as folk had come out at that point and so I like gobbled up queer as folk on dvd all the like random you know lesbian movies and things but the the five of them maybe you know but there was just not the same kind of content so it was an exciting thing to be a part of even Mm -hmm. for my own sort of um queer journey you know is it interesting now comparing the the landscape then to like web series now because there's so much queer content being made and there's so much queer content being made on the web specifically like it's a, it's a whole new world out there i couldn't possibly keep up with it now like i i just couldn't <laughs> I, if i spent all day watching queer web series i would i wouldn't do anything else with my life like literally i mean there's just so yeah. much and it's been fun to watch all of that emerge like since we started because, you know, I started going pretty quickly after anyone but me came out. I started going to LGBT events and um, meeting other people who were creating content. So it was fun to, to watch these creators emerging over the years. Yeah. And knowing them and knowing their work. And it was, it's been really cool. Even though we do have a lot more web series, a lot more representation than we have it's still a pretty small minority that get to play a queer character as an actor, right? And even a smaller amount of those actors are queer people themselves. So can you talk to us a little bit about playing a queer woman as a queer woman yourself? Oh, it was so exciting. It was a couple of things, actually. It was exciting. It was a little bit nerve-wracking, but I think that that happened a little later when I started realizing how big the show became. And, you know, Mm -hmm. pretty much every actor worries about getting typecast as whatever the type is that they are when they hit the scene. Almost no actors don't worry about that. So, like, you know, there was the Mm -hmm. worry of, like, am I only going to get cast as queer characters now? Um, And by the way, I wouldn't have said that. Queer is such a new word, like, in the way that we all (laughs) use it. I would have said, like, Mm -hmm. I don't only want to play lesbian characters, is I think what I said. And, And certainly that was something, like, my parents brought up and I'm not surprised because you know that's whole other generation and they have other concerns but it's not something that really was weighing heavily on me though because Mm -hmm. I felt so liberated playing a queer character I felt so excited to be embodying this experience that I had had my experience is different from Astor's for sure but but that like queer coming of age, mm-hmm. it had happened. It had just happened to me. So like, I also, I'm a person who doesn't live quietly. I, <laughs> like when I, came, when I came out to my parents <laughs> within like 
a very short period of time. I remember one day my mom went to church and she came back and within a couple hours she was gone. I had like <laughs> completely gayed up my room. Like, like there was just, <laughs> there were pictures of like Angelina Jolie everywhere. There were like guest ads, like with super hot models where like I'd cut out like the, you know, letters from magazines and written like desire on them and shit, you know, like I really like, just, Ridiculous! You had that kiss poster, the two girls in like Obviously, the underwear and the t-shirts, I, right? Come only, on, come on. Only. We're similar eras. Everyone had that poster. Don't lie. <laughs> Everyone had that poster. Sorry, I just <laughs> cut you off there. But like, I, I had that poster hanging on my the my wall of my <laughs> freshman dorm. Of course you did. Of course. And not only that, my sophomore roommates and I we did like a. A reenactment of it. Oh my god. There are pictures somewhere of <laughs> me and my sophomore roommate as the two girls in the white tank tops and the whole oh my wait. God. It's you need amazing. to find these and send them to us. <laughs> <laughs> they are buried. They're very deep. I'm actually getting together with her later tonight. That's so funny. I'll ask her if she has them so I can I can oh maybe maybe send them. Oh my god. They are, are were they up on MySpace? Like how long ago were these? These were this was 2004. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let me tell you what, Nicole. I went to Mount Holyoke, which is a women's college. I don't, oh, if you I don't know, know it. it. So I yes. went to a women's college mid 2000s. I think like 90% of the wall space of the college was just that poster. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone had that poster. <laughs> that does not surprise me at all. Um, yes, yes. So that did not yeah. come until college, but I did have like just a ton of girls all over my wall. And I remember my mom walking in after church <laughs> and just standing there for like what felt like forever in silence and just looking at the room and going, it's just really gay. She know, or was that how you came out? No, she knew. But I was so proud. Okay. I was like, "Mom, come see my room. I redecorated." <laughs> you know, like so. I like. I was always so like, "This is who I am, and you're going to accept me for who I am." You know, like I was very opinionated and passionate and stuff like that. So, like when it came to playing a queer character, that felt like part of my own advocacy, not just for myself, but for the LGBT community, which I had already been doing up to that point. And it was fun playing Aster in that way because she was so out. In that way, she and I were so similar. And having like her dealing with a girlfriend who was not as comfortable in her own family and community situation and having to balance that, that was something that I went through, you know? And so... Being able to express that as an actor, it was very exciting. I have a question. Yeah. Because I think, so I think this is also a story that you told during the LGBTQ actresses panel mm -hmm. at Klexcon. I think we have a goal to bring up Klexcon as many times as possible in every episode from, <laughs> from, from, now, from now until on. forever. <laughs> yeah. But so I think it was then you told a story about the experience of playing like in a gay relationship with another woman that you're acting opposite as a queer woman. Right. And like purposefully, like intentionally sitting down and having a conversation with her to be like, this is just acting yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I am not too into this. This is not, you know, like and so I'm curious because it's something that I thought was really interesting because have you ever felt the need to have a conversation like that with a male co-star uh, or do you imagine that straight co-stars ever feel the need to have that conversation? 
I wish everybody could see my face right now because I'm having <laughs> having like an aha moment over here. No, I don't think I have ever had that, like felt the need to have that conversation because I've taken for granted that we know we're acting because acting like you're in love as straight people is something that people have been doing forever. <laughs> and it's mm. just taken for granted that like that's acting, you know? So I guess I haven't. That said, it would probably have behooved me several times to have had that conversation because I have run into some issues that way. Many more with men than ever with women. So that's all, that's all I'll say about that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it also comes along with some stuff that we talked about in the podcast before, which is the stereotype of the predatory lesbian, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Where you mm-hmm. don't want to be perceived as too aggressive. Yes! Or, yeah! And I don't know, it's like you try to be like, I'm not hitting on you, but then when you are hitting on someone, they don't know you're hitting on them, and then it just gets all <laughs> kinds of confusing. Yes, yeah. it, it, it is confusing. It's like, and I I totally have had that fear, and, and to the point where, like, I've taken it it's been to my detriment, actually. Like, I've taken that fear into, like, being able to talk to girls at clubs and being able to, you know, like, the fear of, like, either they're straight or they're... No, actually, I don't usually have that fear. To be totally honest, I'm into pretty androgynous-looking girls, so it's pretty damn obvious. <laughs> um, that's That hasn't been too much of a problem with for me. It's a problem for my friends, but not for me. Being afraid that a girl has a girlfriend, because I, like, always assume that lesbians have girlfriends. You know, I'm like, oh, you probably have a girlfriend, you know? Like, so I don't want to like screw that up. You know, I I get very anxious and self-conscious when it comes to women, much more so than men in general. So it's not Mm. surprising to me that I carry that into acting as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to see if that is going to come up more because I think it's something that, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot more of as people pushing to have, you know, not just queer representation, but, um, queers representing queers. themselves, you know? <laughs> yes. And so when you said that, like, I don't imagine as so many of the actresses that were at Clexicon that are in roles like this are straight. I don't imagine they ever have that conversation of being like, P.S., we're just acting, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> so I'm curious, like, as that starts to shift, as we start seeing, you know, more lesbian, bisexual people playing these roles, you know, there, it feels like there is, I think there's some sort of a double standard there that's really interesting. And I'm curious how much of that is like our own internalizing of some of those feelings, but also how much of that is just like a real, a real thing that happens, you know, because I think it gets into the same question of like, we did a whole episode on the issue of shipping actors together, like people who ship actors together, you know, and towing that line and where that sort of falls and how what I think is really interesting about it, because in general, I I tend to fall on the like, don't ship real people together. That's weird (laughs) kind of camp. But at the same time, what I think is really interesting is that there's a very noticeable difference in how that gets treated when people do it to straight people, like straight couples versus like gay relationships in the media, you know. Oh, so I, yeah. I, just, I think it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I don't, I don't know if we have e- even time to like unpack all of it, but I just I remembered you telling that story and I thought it was um, 
thought it was worth at least touching on because I do think it it says a lot about, you know, some of the things that we have sort of all internalized, you know. Of course, especially I want to say our generation. I mean, a lot of like the queer movies that were around all, you know, seven of them. <laughs> uh, and I'm including I'm including all of the letters in LGBTQ, etc. All seven yeah. movies that were out at that point over history. It's like it like so many of them dealt with like tragic scenarios and often of like, you know, the queer character having an interaction, like having a romantic or sexual interaction with someone who then decides to reject their own queerness and it's like I'm straight and you're weird and so like there is I think that ingrained fear that actually the first girl I ever hooked up with like got a boyfriend two weeks later easily (laughs) oh no like and we hooked up several times like we hooked up like three weekends in a row my mom's like you're sleeping at Rachel's house a lot I was like yeah no no this is fine I'm sure I don't know what she would say about it now but I think it probably was a situation where like it was a little overwhelming for her and she was like nope gotta get a boyfriend, you know? And I was like, okay, okay, you know? So I'm sure that like somehow that shaped the way that I approached women who I didn't know for 100% certain were queer. So I think we're talking a lot about, you know, queer representation and and queer media and things like that. You know, for a podcast called Les Hangout, we always try to say it's we, we're the lesbians. But it's about just, you know, broader queer experiences in general. But let's focus in for a little bit on bisexual representation. Because I think, you know, we're seeing a lot more representation of queer stories. But bisexual representation is still a really small part of that. Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think there's still so little of specifically bi stories? Oh, man, I could write a book on this. (laughs) I will do my best to uh, keep this succinct. And, and, you know, these are all, everything that I'm about to say is is just theories that have come about because I've spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about this subject. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, well, first of all, just kind of on the surface of this before going deeper, in terms of representation in the media and specifically, you know, characters in narrative situations, you know, so like TV shows, movies, et cetera, being bi, part of why we're not seeing that is because the bisexual community has not had their, like, trans community moment, you know? Caitlyn Jenner was, for better or for worse, was, like, the tipping point for the trans community in terms of visibility. In terms of greater media and nationally starting to cover the trans people and try to understand trans people and educate themselves on trans people. And then more and more trans people started coming out. And then we got transparent, you know? It's got to start somewhere. And so because we haven't had our, like, I hate to say we haven't had our Caitlyn Jenner. That is the worst fucking thing in the world. But, like, like, do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) we haven't had our our person yet who, you know, uh, like, if it was, if Michelle Obama were suddenly like, you know what, I'm bisexual. It'd be like, we'd start seeing representation of bisexual people more. Do you know what I mean? Like, we just haven't had that yet. Um, So that's why I don't think characters are being written is because we haven't had enough high profile people coming out and being really super, super freaking loud about it. Um, The way that the trans community has done so beautifully because they have not shut, they've been very loud about it. They've, they've not let 
anybody forget that they're there and they have really done an excellent job of organizing um, and being vocal. Do you think having people like Stephanie Beatrice and Sarah Ramirez and who are starting to be more vocal, do you think that's going to yes. start maybe shifting the tide? Yes, but I mean, you, you also have, you know, Evan Rachel Wood and I mean, you have people who are quote unquote, you know, bigger stars than the two of them who are coming out to take nothing away from the, the two of those actresses, obviously, but like, but they're not on the level of like, like what Caitlyn Jenner was when Caitlyn Jenner was Bruce Jenner to everybody else, a national hero. And so the fact that the world had to come around and see her as she always saw herself. Yeah. That was huge. It was bigger than just, you know, an actor, right? In a way, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like it was what Caitlyn Jenner as Bruce stood for in that time. And I also think part of it was that, you know, Caitlyn Jenner was of that generation. It made it so that it wasn't just like a millennial thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it mm-hmm. became it became an issue that everyone under the age of you know, 75 was talking about. It's funny. I almost wonder if it was less of a millennial thing, because I think Caitlyn Jenner, I almost feel like like everyone sort of like a little older than our generation, like she was huge. Yes. She was huge. Huge. You know, and I, and I almost feel like our generation and younger, like, didn't quite have that context necessarily of, like, how big of a deal she was to that generation, like, to our parents' generation. Because um, I think she wasn't as prominent of a figure anymore by that point. Like, it, you know, the way that, yeah, who who would occupy a similar space in that sort of, like, societal context? Michael Phelps, basically, in, like... 40 years. Yeah, right. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, so it's it's hard to imagine who that would be in, you know, for their generation if they came out as bisexual. I don't know because I'm not as in their generation. So I'm not sure right. what would influence. But I do think that the generational thing had a lot to do with that, too. There's that. There's also something that came up re- actually at Clexicon. <laughs> uh, we're going to mention Clexicon a lot, I think, yeah. forever. But uh, so one of, one of the things that came up in just a private conversation I was having with somebody is that I've started to think that part of why bisexuality hasn't had its moment and gets covered up a lot (laughs) is even just in the name. We don't have another name that doesn't have the word sex in it. Mm -hmm. Mm. We don't have gay. We don't have lesbian. We don't have trans. We don't have, we have bi, I guess, but transgender is gender, right? I mean, we don't, queer is queer. Yeah. But ours is bisexual. It is explicit in its name, right? And I think that that does subconsciously influence people's comfort, or or in this case, discomfort with it, and really exposes or, like, feeds these myths about it, about it, bisexual people being just, like, super horny or super, like, unable to be satisfied or, you know, always wanting more or, you know, um, promiscuous and all of those things. Like, it's in the actual name is the word sex. And we don't get the benefit of like another nickname, you know, or like a whatever. No, but, and it's so true because there's so much too about, I mean, even just within like the gay community in general, like it's so common for it to become 
like a hypersexualized thing when it doesn't need to be at all. Mm-mm. You know, so it's the same issue that people are running into on YouTube with having like any sort of queer gay content at all get demonetized because yes. they're like it's it's inappropriate. You know, people who have said like if you um, tag just saw something on Twitter where someone had a book of poems and they put it up on YouTube under the LGBT category. And LGBT is a subsection of erotica, like, (laughs) no, (sighs) which just seems insane, right? Like, it's insane. It is harder for bisexual people to break free of that. I mean, you don't hear a lot of lesbians going around saying, like, as a proud homosexual woman, you know, like, you just... (laughs) Well, I don't know about you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start and see what happens. Actually, even still, I would just say I'm a big homo. I wouldn't say the sexual part. (laughs) yeah (laughs) but like how weird would that feel to be like yeah i'm homosexual like like you know like no one says that you know i i don't mind saying bisexual but even when i say it it has taken me a long time to embrace that word even though the label has always felt so so very dear and wonderful and right for me the actual word and being and being vocal about the word took me a while to get comfortable with and you know it's only now in like being an adult and looking at that and realizing like oh that's because I was like declaring I was saying sex I was in and me and talking about what I prefer sexually Mm -hmm. explicitly you know so (laughs) I think like which is not generally what you start conversations not usually (laughs) what you do you know like on the internet where your your family is you know Mm -hmm. like hey there this is Justin Bartha I made a funny new podcast King of the Egg Cream it has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black I'm torn by my feelings for two women Bobby Cannavale you can eat it or if someone hits you you can put it on your cut Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> I think that actually the name is part of it. I, I think there's so many reasons, guys, but like two more quickly and then I'll wrap this part up. But I think another reason is that inherently bisexuality calls into question the practice of monogamy and not because all bisexual people are non-monogamous because that is not true not all bisexual people are polyamorous not all bisexual people can't be faithful there are plenty of bisexual people who are monogamous and faithful and that is all very true however we like to think in our puritanical culture that um (laughs) when one gets married one is never attracted to anybody else in their you know it doesn't matter what their you know sexuality is but like if you're straight and you're married you're all you only have eyes for your spouse right if you're Mm -hmm. gay and you're married you only have eyes for your spouse 
as we know is the case for all straight married all straight married people that's why there's no divorce you know (laughs) but like unfortunately that lie that has been perpetuated has caused obviously a huge number of problems and I think makes for massive breakdown in communication between partners of any gender and sexuality but insofar as bisexuality is concerned you know I think people look at it and go how could that be true? Because if I'm with you and, and I'm I'm a man, then you're always going to be attracted to other women. And if I'm a woman mm-hmm. and I'm with you, you're always going to be attracted to men because I'm not that. And you can kind of lie to yourself if, you know, you're with somebody who is just straight or gay and be like, well, I'm going to be totally, I'm going to satisfy everything they need. But like with bi people, there's that fear. There's a mm. really big fear And I'm not going to say that fear is wrong in the sense that we're all attracted to other people. It's just we (laughs) but we all have personal agency as to whether we act on that. Right. You know, that is what makes me so pissed off is I'm like, guys, everyone is attracted to other people when they're with their partner. That's natural. That's human. It is how you communicate about it. And it is what you do or don't do about it. It's being a good person. You know, it's so funny to me, though, that that's always been like such a big thing. And I've just never understood like you're straight. Right. And it's like, okay, you're a straight dude. You get married to your wife and whatever. And it's like your wife's a brunette. You know, I don't know. I just feel like the idea that someone would ever be like, so wait, but aren't you also attracted to blondes? Are you going to need to date a blonde now, too? Like, I don't, it just seems ridiculous, yes. Like, I would like to say something, though, like, from a, from a lesbian perspective who pretty much exclusively dates bisexual women, women, (laughs) okay, I've gotten to a point where I got over all of my insecurities, but when I didn't, it was really hard. Like you're saying, like, that fear is real, but that doesn't necessarily mean that bisexuality is not real. Like, yes. I almost is and- more real because bisexuality <laughs> is real, if that makes sense. Yes. Oh, that's so true. It is. The fear is more real because bisexuality is real. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And it's not like it doesn't do anybody any good to like discount the fears of their partners. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like yeah. we all have our fears and this is why everything for me comes back to communication, communication and honesty and communication mm-hmm. and honesty with partners, like to the point where you think like you feel nauseous because you're being so damn honest. Like <laughs> it's so important because like you don't want your partner to be afraid and it's not necessarily their fault that they fear you being attracted to somebody that is a different gender than you are Mm -hmm. that it is something that physically you don't have of course that could feel threatening I understand that it's when the knee-jerk reaction to that is to say you know is to become like uber possessive or start this like, I know you're going to leave me for a guy. I know you're going to just, you're always, you're going to leave me for a guy versus like having these conversations that are difficult, but where like the person who's by feels like seen mm-hmm. and, and understood. Mm-hmm. And the partner who is straight or gay also feels seen and understood. You know, we need to have the, like a much more frank conversation about this in general, but certainly between partners. I'm curious also, especially in the media in terms of like seeing characters that are by. There's a tendency just, I mean, for people in general, but I also think it happens a lot, like, and perhaps especially like within the queer community that we need to like slap a label on everything Mm -hmm. right away, you know? And so what I was thinking about is like when 
I don't know if you watch Winona Earp, but when uh, Waverly's character in the first season, who ha- is dating a guy, has always dated guys, you know, and breaks up with him and starts dating Nicole Hott's character, that I feel like there was like this immediate knee-jerk thing to be like, eh, she's a lesbian now. It kind of created this whole issue for a while in terms of like, well, how does she identify? What do we call her? Is she? Do the bi's get her or do lesbians get her, you know? And there's like, this like a tug of war, like pulling her one way or the other. But I, I'm curious, like, especially in TV shows, like there's such a desire for us to use media as a way to fit people into boxes. You want the story, you know, like, here's the story that we're telling. And I think especially with, uh, with characters coming out and stuff like that, that is what we're used to seeing on TV, you know, is like, I was straight, now I'm gay. And I feel like that loses bisexuality in there, you know, like, it doesn't fit, like, as nice, neat of a narrative of, like, Point A, point B. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And it is, it's been like a huge frustration to me for a long time watching that happen because there are just so many examples you can think of, of like characters that either like dabble with someone of the same sex and then like, Mm -hmm. oh, that wasn't for me, you know, whatever it was. And and sort of like, it's like it never happened. Or then suddenly, yeah, they're, they're just suddenly gay. And you even see that in like... (laughs) this drives me nuts in like (laughs) tabloids you see that Mm -hmm. actually because there's been you know these long time discussions about like is tom cruise gay is will smith actually gay is like is that what scientology is holding over their heads you know like all these like things like like and they have these these conversations it makes me nuts because i'm like guys like there's a middle ground maybe they're bi maybe tom cruise actually likes women and men and that's possible you know and it's especially yeah. of course bad with men because you can, men are only allowed to be straight or gay apparently um and it that yes. that makes me furious but anyway you see it all over the place is this like are they secretly yeah. gay what are you talking about <laughs> like that's not how sexuality works like it's like, yeah, not only is there a middle ground, there's also like a whole like plethora <laughs> of other possible sexual identities to choose from that are not even just gay, straight, or bi. Like Yes, there's a spectrum. It's like there's people are so much more complicated and colorful than we allow them to be because we need to fit them into these boxes so we can understand them and so that we don't feel threatened by them ultimately, right? So th- that's really what it comes down to. And like, it really bugs me when that happens on, on TV. It happens so often. What I also want to talk about is while we talk about, you know, with having that, that middle ground identity and is bisexuality real and and how does it fit into like the queer community in a general sense and stuff like that something else that that we talked about at Clexicon, <laughs> uh, get our Clexicon mention in, is this idea of like fitting into the mold that the media creates for us you know and looking a certain way so not to put you on the spot or anything but can we for a hot second discuss this vaguely newish but super cute super queer haircut <laughs> Yes, we can. Um, how how conscious of a choice was it? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> the, <laughs> it was maybe a half conscious choice. No, I. Well, first of all, what's funny is I literally just got it trimmed today, so it looks like super gay at this moment because it is very <laughs> short. To all of you who can't see it, it's like 
It's like Michelle Williams at Michelle Williams' shortest short. Mm. It's very short. For those of you who can't see Nicole right now, it's on point. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You know, I... Oh, God. If we really go back in the annals of Facebook, we can find some rather embarrassing pictures of me with a faux hawk circa 2000... (laughs) Yes, let's please. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Circa like 2005. It was not my best look, but that was a... (laughs) very conscious like I have to express my queerness haircut Mm -hmm, like I absolutely oh I was in college I was very I mean and I had a boyfriend when I did it and actually actually and I god I love you Nate so much so please if you're listening to this know (laughs) that I forgive you and you're wonderful it's fine but I uh my boyfriend at the time was very uncomfortable with it And it was the last straw. I mean, we had other things going on. So, but it was the last straw. Like when I cut my hair, we broke up. Wow. um, Wow. Yeah. And he's later, again, he's one of my dearest friends that has later like been so wonderfully apologetic and adorable about it. So like it's whatever. We're all young and stupid. It's fine. Um, So like, and I get it. I get that he felt threatened by that because frankly, like it was a very conscious choice of to express my queerness. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that like as a straight 20-year-old guy, he did not know what the hell to do with that. <laughs> and I don't blame him, you know? Like, I, I, yeah. But anyway, I needed to do that for myself at that time. And then, and also I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be an actress, so I'm going to have to grow my hair out and have it be like long and feminine, whatever, by the time that I graduate. So this is a perfect time to do it, you mm-hmm. know? So that's kind of the thought that I had all through um, the past like 10 years was like, okay, I have to, you know, I have to look a certain way for Hollywood, you know, like it's that whole actor game. It sucks. And then this past year, I just started like coming into my own in a new way and being more comfortable with myself and um I have been talking more about my bi identity publicly so I'm sure that like this is probably linked to it but the choice to cut my hair was because I felt like I wasn't connected to that version of myself anymore that had long hair I felt like it was younger and it was trying to be something that I wasn't. And this feels more mature and more expressive and yes, like edgier and yes, more overtly queer, mm-hmm. you know, like it was a fun thing. Cause right after I got my haircut, someone came up to me after a show and we were just, we were, we were talking and can't remember how like LGBT stuff came up. And I was like, Oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm bi. And she goes, Oh no, I mean, I figured you were queer. <laughs> Like, wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, people don't ever say that to me. Like, so I had my first moment of like, oh, my God, I guess I'm looking yeah. on the outside a little bit more how I feel on the inside, you know, so it was only half conscious, but it, it certainly played into it. It's yeah. funny. I actually just had a conversation with I have a really good friend who's getting married next year is, you know, kind of doing the whole like wedding dress stuff. Mm-hmm. And she was asking me, I had longer hair and wore a dress at my wedding. And she was asking me, like, you know, if you did it again, would you wear a dress again? Because I don't I don't wear dresses at this point <laughs> in my life, you know, like I'm kind of just over the whole trying to make that work for me thing. And I was like, you know, yeah, I probably would. Like there were very conscious reasons that I chose and wanted specifically to wear a dress and have long hair at my wedding. Like it felt 
you are constantly being interpreted by the people around you. And I think for me, part of that was that it was very important to me that our wedding be a representation of both of us as women getting married, you know? Like, like I didn't want to have the, you know, like, which one of you is the guy? I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Neither one of us is the guy. Like, I happen to be someone who feels more comfortable and dresses more androgynously in a general sense, but, like, it was really important to make sure that it was clear what people were celebrating with us. You know, and so I'm curious, especially because I think it's something something that, you know, you did talk about as well as like, you know, as someone who is married to a guy, you know, and how I know that's like a whole minefield for bisexual women to navigate. You know, if you're a bisexual who's in a relationship with a dude, we have a tendency to just like erase all of that queerness, you know, it gets lost yeah. in the mix somewhere. Like there's no room for that. So I, I was, I'm just, I was just curious how it links in with the stuff you were talking about with monogamy. It's like, well, whoever you end up with, that's yeah. your sexuality because like, this is the only person you've ever loved or been attracted to in your whole Absolutely. life. Like, no. Yes. Ex no, exactly. <laughs> and like, I was totally going to bring up the married to a guy thing. Like, I'm sure that that went into like, partly went into like the subconscious decision to cut my hair because I enter queer spaces and people don't question me, you mm -hmm. know, and like, I can be married to a guy and still be somewhat obviously queer, mm -hmm. you know, and I like that. And I also like messing with people's expectations of what you're supposed to look like when you're married to a guy. <laughs> like, because that's the other <laughs> yes. thing is like, and this is part of the whole the whole evolution into like more self-expression and things like I've always had these like two sides of me that are I, I can be like very feminine at times and love wearing dresses and like if you see my wedding pictures they are about as feminine as you could possibly Ooh, send us the wedding imagine. pictures I will they look yeah. like um basically Lord of the Rings but anyway like that's <laughs> like what it strongly what it looks like I had extensions like down to my butt like it would like braids and like anyway whatever and I love that stuff and actually what's funny is the haircut in some ways has made me feel more feminine because like when I put on makeup and stuff, I feel like Audrey Hepburn, you know, mm -hmm. like it's like it's bringing out this other feminine side that I'm loving. But like I've also had the side that, you know, I, I will walk down the street with like a baseball cap and a, and like a T-shirt and whatever lacrosse shorts and sneakers and like, you know, I, that, and that's also who I am, too. And I think for a long time, those two sides felt like they were at odds with each other. And I worried about walking into different spaces, be they straight spaces or queer spaces, and like accurately representing myself in what I was wearing. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just like, well, screw it. What? <laughs> Some days I feel like wearing dresses and looking super femme and other days I look a lot more queer and it's all good. And luckily I'm with a partner who is like yeah. a thousand percent on board with all of that. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter. And also looking femme does not necessarily mean not queer. Yes, yes. that's ab yeah, yes. I got I got you. I was just about to say Ellie. <laughs> I was going to I was actually going to going to ask you about that. I'm sure that's very frustrating for you. Yes. No, nobody ever thinks that I'm gay like ever ever. I swear <laughs> to god sometimes I talk I say like I am try to be the gayest possible. Like I started a freaking lesbian podcast so people would know that I was a lesbian. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, people don't know you're gay until you open your mouth. I mean, what? Yeah, until I'm like, people are like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a professional lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. I call myself a professional queer person. Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, we need new business yes, cards. Ellie, <laughs> Ellie Brigida, professional lesbian. It, it <laughs> no, is, but yeah, it, it is, definitely is. Yeah. That we've we've talked about that many many times. In a similar way to you, Nicole, I've gotten to a pl- a place where I'm like, this is wh- how I like looking. And so whatever mm-hmm. else, whatever anyone wants to think about that is fine. But like, I feel most comfortable with long hair and makeup and sometimes dresses, sometimes not, you know, so. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And like, the thing is, it's also like, who knows, you know, down the line. That's the other thing is like, I, I'm not never going to grow my hair long again. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to have long hair again at some point. I just don't feel it right now. Like, yeah. I don't know. And you look This is great. just what I want to be doing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're I wanted to ask one more question before we go into our final yeah. segment. Because I think a main point of this episode is that as members of the LGBTQ community, we want to be accepting of every single person under that umbrella. How do you think we as a community can be that support system for other people who don't identify in the same way that we do? Because, like, there's a lot of internal, like, internal fighting yes. between in-group fighting, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. lesbians who are mm-hmm. scared of bisexual women or, you know, like, so how how do you think we can be better as a community about For sure. I, I, I totally get what you're saying. This is what I thought you were asking. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, um, I think about this a, a lot. Um, I think, first of all, this speaks to, like, a broader issue happening um, right now, which is within like the liberal community um straight gay or otherwise Mm -hmm. like that we are doing a lot of nitpicking with one another and not enough recognizing that we're actually all allies and trying to be each other's allies Mm -hmm. and um knowing that you know people take time and need space to be educated and educate themselves on things You know, so I think that within the queer community, we would be very wise to just know that because someone else identifies as queer doesn't mean that they understand us or we understand them and that we need to work harder to do that and be less judgmental all around of them, of their lack of understanding of us, of all of it, you know. So I'll I'll start off by saying that. But I, I think... You know, certainly when it comes to bisexual people, I just I think we need to be more part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think I want people to ask us questions. You know, I I want I want people to express like real fears and biases that they've had, because if everyone just pretends that they're fine with everything, that's not actually going to get better, you know. Mm -hmm. And I also would ask that people reflect on like the fact that, you know, when like before Stonewall and really, yeah, before, during Stonewall, mm-hmm. lesbians and gays were very separate. Mm-hmm. Gay men were like, we don't want lesbians to be part of our movement. You know, there was a huge amount of internal bias and things that were happening there. And now look at it, you know, it's so different. And I would just hope that you know, that that same lesson can be applied to to bisexual people as it has been to trans people. Because there, I mean, it was not too long ago that, a whole lot of LGB whatever people were like, no, trans is not included. It's a gender expression, not a sexual orientation, and therefore shouldn't be under our umbrella. 
I mean, people yeah. made that case a lot and publicly. Mm-hmm. To which we say, fuck all Yes, y'all. to which we say, can we <laughs> not be a minority that has asked for inclusion forever and then exclude right. people within our own community? Please mm-hmm. come on. Yeah. The irony is, it's it's ridiculous. So, so I, I, I think that that's part of it. And like, when it comes to bisexuality, just to acknowledge that it's real mm-hmm. and that nobody that nobody is trying to harm you by being bisexual. <laughs> like, no one is doing it to you. You yes. know, it's like it's just who who we are, mm-hmm. you know, and we're just trying to be like everyone else, you know, be exist and and be happy and, you know, connect with other people who are also queer. I think that's a beautiful Way to put it. Gay men. What a way to... Did you just say gay men? That, huh? <laughs> I did. <laughs> All right. I thought that's what you said. <laughs> All right. I think we're going to... We uh, need to go into our next section, which is our Q&Gay. Gay. Yes! Q&Gay. Gay. Oh, cool. I'm so ready. Q. 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 And. Gay. For anyone who hasn't listened to the podcast, we have some questions. We're going to ask Nicole, and then we want to hear your answers as well. Um, so we will take turns. Ellie, why don't you? All right. So out of these options, who is your favorite TV bisexual? Waverly Earp, Callie Torres, Rosa Diaz, or Sarah Lance? Rosa Diaz. Great choice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question two. And we might have covered this a little bit in detail already, but we'll also see what everyone else thinks. Short hair or long hair? In general? In general. Oh, that's so sad. (laughs) Both. I can't. I can't. I'm sorry, both. I'm going to be that bisexual about it. Both. Okay, we'll we'll add the both. We'll We'll add add the the both both category. How's that? (laughs) All right, next is who out of all these people is your number one bisexual celebrity crush? And I think I already know the answer, but Angelina Jolie, Billy Joe Armstrong, (laughs) Jesse J, or David Bowie? Oh, I mean Angelina Jolie. <laughs> I knew, but but you know though David Bowie would be a real close second. Okay, like real <laughs> close. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, question four: If you could pick one of these movies that should have been gay, which one would it be? Bridesmaids, Legally Blonde, Thelma and Louise, or Mean Girls? I I I almost have to say Mean Girls. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. I so wish we had more time to get into who you would see uh, shipping together on that. Oh, my God, right? <laughs> this is a but, preliminary question for what should have been gay is Nicole Payson going to be on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Our final question is, what is your favorite queer movie out of these four and... I'm, ho- I'm very deliberate you've seen options, them. huh? You you have to have seen them. <laughs> okay, imagine me and you, but I'm a cheerleader. Debs or Carol? Uh, <laughs> okay, I oh, I I kind of want to see Imagine Me and You because it's so damn cute, mm-hmm. um, and it gives me all the warm feels. Whereas Carol is like terrifying <laughs> in some ways, but like. <laughs> But simultaneously, it's such a beautiful movie, and I love both of those actresses, so it, I, I, ah, damn it. Now I'm going to imagine me and you. Never mind. It's fine. Yes. There has to be, there has to be a winner. Yes, there and yet, none of one. them are my favorite. Oh, what is your favorite? If These Walls Could Talk, too. <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> that ages me, people. Uh, that ages me. <laughs> That's fine. It's it's a third bag. It's a yeah, third bag. I haven't sure. seen it, so I'm sorry. Oh, it's so yeah. cute. You should see it. I will see it. We'll I will do, watch we'll, it now. It's. I think it's on our essentials list, so don't worry about it. We'll get yes. there. All right. And to <laughs> we'll our listeners, remember you can give us your own answers to this episode's Q&A questions on our Twitter at leshangoutpod. We want to say... Thank you again, Nicole, for joining us. It has been such a pleasure yes. having you on. I wish we had like know, another thank hour. Thank you so much. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I'm so sad that we have to end the conversation. I feel like we could easily <laughs> talk for another hour. Oh, my God. I mean, we'll just have to have you on I again. Was, I you guess took the words fine. out of my mouth. <laughs> yes. Thank you guys so much for asking me. This has been awesome. I knew it would be. Thank you. I love what you guys do. Keep doing it. Oh, thank you. And where can people find you and all the things that you're doing? You guys can find me on Twitter at Nicole Payson. I am tweeting more these days. I'm still trying. Guys, I'm still trying. I'm, stri- I'm trying to be better about Twitter this in so the social hard. media. It's so hard to keep up with, but I am trying. Um, so at Nicole Payson, um, also at Nicole Payson on Instagram, Facebook fan page, which I interact with less, but you can find some really, really fun videos and things on there. Nicole Payson actor, facebook.com slash Nicole Payson actor. I have a show on YouTube. It's called Only Us and you can find it at youtube.com slash Nicole Payson. I talk about a lot of queer stuff, but, um, moreover, it's really just like people stuff and realizing that, you know, we, we are all going through things and we are not alone in that and that we need to connect with one another. So I talk about queer stuff. I talk about mental health stuff. I talk about lady issues. You can find me on there. Let's see. What else? Oh, I have a podcast coming out soon. Yay! I don't have the Woo-hoo! release date, but I have a recording date, which is fantastic. It is tentatively titled Coming Out with Lauren and Nicole, um, and it's all going to be stories of coming out. We are really, really, really excited about this. Look for that early summer of this year. So there we go. And I have a short film dropping July 4th, which I will publicize. And if you are in the LA area, I am in two plays, one part of the uh, Hollywood Fringe Festival in June and the other one that I am also co-producing in September. So there you go. We should have just asked, what aren't you doing these days? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I might have been shorter. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a, a Jane of all trades. I don't know. I do a yeah, lot like, of yeah, stuff. Yeah, so, like Jane of all trades. Some, the yeah. answer is you can find Nicole everywhere doing everything, <laughs> literally all the things. It's really exhausting and I forget to eat. So <laughs> I like, have to remind myself to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <There> you <laughs> <go>. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. All right. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Les Hangout Pod. Uh, you can email us at leshangoutpod at gmail.com. Or you can check out our website at leshangoutpod.com. If you want to help support the podcast, uh, the easiest free thing you can do is listen to us on Radio Public. We get paid listens. All you have to do is listen to the podcast. Uh, you can find that at bit.ly slash leslisten. And if you want to support us financially, you can go to our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash leshangout, and you can be a part of our Les Essentials viewing parties, get early drinking game rules, and some cool behind-the-scenes blooper reels. As we know, Pride Month is right around the corner, and we've got some new Pride designs up in our Les Hangout merchandise shop, so you guys can rock all your lesbian swag. And you should definitely get them. Send us pictures of you wearing them at Pride parades, or if you're doing things with your friends 
friends, we would love to see you guys wearing them. So get those. You can find them at our store, which is at bit.ly slash lesshop. And if you want to find us individually, you can find me at Ellie Brigida on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me at LSH Foster on also now Instagram and Twitter. So <gasps> She's in the new age, people. I, I gave in. <laughs> I gave in, you guys. So there you go. You can follow me on Instagram yes. or on Twitter. Yet again, thank you so yeah. much, Nicole. Thank this you. This has been amazing. This has been You're amazing. Wonderful. I wish I could stay here all night and talk to you guys. That has <laughs> no. been great. Thank you so okay. much. This is this is awesome. Till next time. And with that, I'm Ellie. And I'm Lee. And I'm Nicole. And, and let's, let's hang, hang out, out again, again soon. soon. Let's hang out. out, out.